Welcome to the Sandbox. Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. Yeah, we just got back from California, had a great time learning a little bit about public speaking from people like Peter Rollins and Rob Bell, and now we are here recording a podcast. It's good to be back. It is good to be back. That was a great time out in California. This Soapbox Conference, I know it's going to happen in the future, and I highly recommend it. In addition to learning from guys like Peter Rollins and Tony Jones and Rob Bell, we also learn from Trip Fuller, uh, who has a great podcast of his own. Yeah, he's got a podcast called Homebrewed Christianity, where he invites uh, speakers and writers, uh, theologian types, to talk about what they're writing about and ask some questions. And I just invite you to check that out. It's Homebrewed Christianity. You can find it anywhere you find podcasts. Yeah, we got to watch them do their work live, and it was it was so much fun. And we're going to be uh, talking with Trip here in the next, uh, next month or so. So uh, definitely check out that podcast. Yeah, it's great. Well, as we get into today's topic, uh, we just want to talk a little bit about identity. In some ways, our sense of identity is really tied to our cultural heritage, maybe our ethnicity. It can be what country we're from or what types of food we prefer or what music we listen to. And to point our conversation a bit further today, we can maybe start by asking, what is my identity? And how does my identity influence my life and experiences? So Chris, identity, it's a huge idea. It, it's, a, it's this massive construct. We all see ourselves or identify ourselves in some kind of a way. So when you're asked to describe your, I, I got to know, when you're asked to describe yourself, what do you say? So I never really know how to answer these kind of questions. I, I feel like they're always really awkward and I don't necessarily like talking about myself a ton, but I do know what my Twitter bio says, and that's this. And we always go back to our Twitter bios to f- figure out who we are, the yeah. existential <laughs> it's questions. It's really helpful. So, <laughs> so mine says this. It says, musician, creative, tech junkie, occasional rants about brewing and sports. Whether it's neighborhoods or songs, the result is always better together. That's so, very sweet. Isn't it, though? It is. So it's not a complete description, but I think it says a little bit about what I enjoy. So what about you, Dave? What would you say when somebody asks you this question? Again, I, you know, I don't know, you know really what to say. But I do like talking about myself, you know, just in contrast here. (laughs) And I recently sent an application to talk at a conference, and they wanted more information on me. And so I wrote this. I said, you know, it's, who is Dave Berg? Let me tell you. I like to work out, eat bacon, listen to old school funk, aim for the fences, and take naps on Sunday afternoons. I am a lover of fine scotch, old Chuck Taylors, Rocky movies, and tacos. I would like to see the Great Wall of China before I die, and I think bucket lists are cool. I don't have any tattoos, but if I did, I would only show them one at a time. I have a dog named Otis, who I frequently call Bubba. So Dave, are all of these things true? Better believe it. But you you didn't say anything about being a father or a husband. You are still those things, right? You know, how much time do I get? I, it, it's all true. And, and if I could add anything, I'd probably say I'm a humble servant in search of a sweet groove who, has a, who is as funky fresh as he can be. <laughs> but there is not enough characters in, in, in these drop boxes to, to fill all of that in. But yes, I am a husband. I am a dad. And I am as funky fresh as I can be. <laughs> So there's only so many things that we can say about ourselves, or there are only so many so many things that the the words we use to describe ourselves can do, right? Um, I think the the important thing here is that while it's probably helpful in some ways to claim certain aspects of our identity, it's not actually the whole picture. 
So we're no, we know that we're not just one thing or the other thing. If I tell you I'm, I'm a Democrat or a Republican, it tells you something about me. But it doesn't give you the whole picture of my political beliefs. So in the same way, calling myself a Wisconsinite doesn't give the whole image of how I grew up. Yeah, and really as a Wisconsinite, you hate it when you drink out of a bubbler and on a day when your one good tooth is particularly sensitive. <laughs> I mean, that, that just doesn't work. And as a Wisconsinite myself, I can say such things. You know something about that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I think those identities are really helpful. Uh, jokes aside, um, they help us. They help to place us into the larger world. And to some extent, we're really not capable of functioning without some sort of systemization of the world around us. But I do think we need to be careful and not assume that we know everything about others by a single way that they identify themselves. So we had the chance to talk with a guy named Isai Contreras from El Paso, Texas, about how he would describe his journey. His response to this question dealt specifically with his own identity. He has a story of, in some ways, competing identities. Here's what Isai had to say. What is your journey? My journey? I guess I would have to, uh, just, uh, just like before, I, I would have to talk about where I'm from, El Paso. Uh, my journey is, uh, is being a, a lost little brown boy. Uh, in Texas, <laughs> because um, being in El Paso, I'm right on the border of Mexico. I'm right on the border of New Mexico, and El Paso hosts one of the biggest army air bases in America, the Fort Bliss. So, if I were to go into Mexico, even being a little little brown boy, uh, the way I am, just the way I look, the way I present myself, I'm not Mexican. In Mexico, I'm not. But if I were to come to El Paso, and I'm I'm not, I'm Mexican. <laughs> so there's like this huge identity thing that I that one has to figure out. Uh, even just being a a person of any type of color. Uh, so I really have to. I had to discover who I am within myself, and I grew up. I grew up single mom. Uh, my grandma helped raise me too, so I was brought up around a bunch of ladies. So whenever it came time to for guy man stuff, I'm just not very good at it. <laughs> like when people talk about cars, like my head just flows out of the out of the room <laughs> and it just goes into somewhere else. Uh, I'm I'm not into like hunting and fishing. I'm just like not very into like uh, this is, let's get dirty man stuff when I'm like no I was but <laughs> it was, growing up that way my mom taught me how to shave you know obviously I, I gave up on it and have a beard now <laughs> you forgot some more <laughs> she, she did she did her best <laughs> but so growing up I, I had to discover it's like yeah I, I'm a guy but I wasn't raised by any any guys and so that's that's my background. That's who I am. So discovering, discovering that and fighting through uh, who I was supposed to be and who I really am, those are two different things. Um, yeah, it's, that's, that was, that's my journey. That's, so I, I had to figure out, yeah, I can speak fluent Spanish, but I'm not considered Mexican. And I can... Uh, until I, I can talk to people about feelings and I could talk. 
things this things like this like i i've seen my mom cry and i've just sat next to her and i know that i don't have to say words to make someone feel better but if i were uh i mean people don't i'm not sure how people always feel when i say this but i didn't need a dad i had just what i needed it was perfect so um growing up that way i think if i had a dad I wouldn't have that, that I wouldn't know how to connect with people differently. And now, like, of course, I love sports and things, things like that. And I learned that growing up, um, playing with the other boys in the neighborhood. Like, I was like, oh, basketball's fun. So I I started playing basketball. And, um, and before that, I tried soccer because, of course, all the other little Mexican kids liked it. (laughs) And I was like... Soccer is not fun. It's just not. I don't want to. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. As you're wearing a U.S. shirt. I'm with you. I'm with you. Fifty percent of this table is hundred percent accurate. (laughs) No, I tried. (laughs) You you think? um, Not like I was in the culture of soccer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was within it, and I was like not getting it. But I did try. I was like, I want to be a part. And so slowly, even those friends started fading away. I was like, I started getting into basketball. And I started getting into uh, into football and, and just a different type of sports. And so I'm still, uh, like, even now, I'm still getting into man stuff. You know, I think it's really interesting to hear about how you can fully embrace two descriptions of yourself. And yet, in some ways, they both fall short of describing you. We recently caught up with Steve Netness to explore this idea of of having two identities. Steve is an Assyrian American and author of the new book, Potential, The Assyrian Quest for Identity. Hey guys, great to be here with you. Love the atmosphere and excited to be on the show. Awesome. I've made it through about half of your book so far and I'm loving it, but you, you had me right at the intro. Uh, it, actually, it's the dedication. You say, this book is dedicated to those who remember their ancestors and dare to live a story that future generations also will remember. Tell me about that. So one of the aches or the things I've noticed um, is that often we'll look at previous generations and we'll think, wow, you know, they've done some amazing things. Like, for example, in my my case, my parents left Iran around 1980. And of course, the revolution was going on, and they ended up coming here to the United to the United States. And and people my age, we have a tendency to say, you know, wow, that was amazing. They moved to a new country where they couldn't speak the language, and it's easy to just romanticize about like what they did, and not really live out and think about what do we need to do? Mm-hmm. What is our generation? What what do I need to do for my life? What's the next steps I need to take? And so the dedication is really geared toward, look, this book is going to help you to know about what, what's happened before, but it's also going to challenge you about living a different story and identifying things that you need to identify. So I, I love that dedication. It, it came from the heart, and it's mainly, it's mainly to help all of us to say, you know, we can't just look to the past. we got to think about the future. Yeah. It's a good yeah. challenge for all of us, too, to be able to wonder what those next steps are and actually dig into them and I mean, we have a tendency to kind of just do our next thing without really processing it or evaluating it and to kind of especially with that historical and kind of cultural identity to be able to say this is who we are and so here we go here's what's next yeah and i think not we don't 
we undervalue or we we have a tendency to underestimate how important the decisions we have to make are. In other words, my parents knew that, you know what, if we, if we leave Iran, we're going to create a better future for our kids, for, for the world. And uh, that was a big step that they had to take. So those we, we tend to think like, oh, man, that was a huge step for them to take. We have similar steps to take. We may not need to move to Iran, but we may need to say, hey, what is it going to look like for my world? What, how, how do I need to do that? So Yeah, yeah. cool. Well, the, te- the subject of the book and, and your passion here is it's the Assyrian quest for identity. And we're talking about identity in this podcast. Talk more about that. You're an Assyrian. And, and that's something that uh, people say, oh, Assyrian? Uh, no, Assyrian. Tell me more about that. Yeah, um, so Assyrians are pretty interesting. We've been without our own homeland for thousands of years. And yeah, when I introduce myself, people are always like, who are the Assyrians? Uh, you know, you're talking about Jonah and the Ninevites? And I'm like, actually, yes. Jonah and the, mm-hmm. Jonah was sent to the Ninevites, uh, one of the capital ci- cities of Assyria. And many people think, you know, after the fall of Assyria, the Assyrians were extinct. But actually, we've survived in pockets of land all over the world for a few thousand years. And... Um, we're now at a place where there's many Assyrians in the United States, and it's hard within within America for us not to assimilate into the culture. And Assyrians don't have their own homeland. Our original homeland, we call it the Assyrian Triangle, was between Iraq, Iran, and Turkey. Um, and so because we don't have sort of, uh, if you look at a map, you're not going to see the word Assyria. You're going to see Syria. That's different but you're not going to see us Syria. And so because we don't have our own homeland, it's hard for us to preserve our culture and root our identity in that Assyrian ethnicity. So really what I did was I said, you know what, uh, this is a this is a big problem for us going forward. How are we going to preserve our Assyrian ethnicity while also reaching our human potential? Um, we want to be proud of who we are as Assyrians and and as an ethnic minority group, all ethnic minority groups want to be able to preserve their ethnic identity. And at the same time, we're living in the United States of America, so the world is different. We have got other decisions, different decisions to make. So I'm kind of curious. So how many Assyrians are there? I mean, how many people would consider themselves Assyrian that, that you kind of know of? And what channels are kind of helping the, helping that group of people connect right now? So there's about 4.5 million, it's estimated, around the world. And... Um, we're continually working on being creative about how we do connect. Um, of course, we speak the same language. Now, there's over 150 different dialects of the Neo-Aramaic language, um, but there's different unifying factors. Of course, there's different groups like the Assyrian Parliament. And um, if you read in the one of the chapters, I just talk about all the different groups that are out there. I go to the National Assyri- American Assyrian Convention every year. So there's all sorts of unifying groups. And actually what's happened in the Middle East over the last couple of years um, with ISIS has been a big unifying factor because, of course, ISIS has uh, terrorized places like Syria um, and Iraq, and many Assyrians have fled. And they mm. fled to places all around the world where now, um, now we're having to connect. Now we're having to really work with one another and to support the Assyrian ethnicity and identity because... Uh, we're being driven driven out of the homeland like never before. What role does technology play in this? I mean, I'm thinking about the the crisis that's happening currently in the last few years 
but then you you know so there's this need to connect and now we have the ability to connect in ways that were never even possible before what one of the things that's so exciting for me is i started working on this book five years ago this was before isis um and it was before Assyrians had galvanized the way that they have over the last year. Um, and one of the reasons, one of the ways that Assyrians have galvanized like never before has been this group called a demand for action. And basically the atrocities that happened in ISIS were so terrible um, that Assyrians really banded together. Um, and there was a grassroots movement that, that blew up on Twitter and on Facebook through social media and uh, there's all sorts of groups now and Assyrians are and so for me it's really exciting because five years later I'm like whoa these channels these relationships weren't as strong as they are now so I'm pretty excited for the book I'm, I'm pretty excited for the book because now um, it's being it's being broadcasted all over the world and just two years ago it what wouldn't have had the, the legs that it has now. Mm-hmm. So what kind of response are you seeing to the book? I mean, what's the, what are, how are people saying? How are they interacting with it? It's pretty fascinating because Assyrians are very supportive people. Um, when you're an Assyrian and you meet another Assyrian, uh, they're going to figure out a way to take care of you. Uh, I, my windshield was cracked in Dallas. I spent seven years in Dallas, Texas. My windshield was cracked and I called this place that was owned by Assyrians that fixes windshield. I made sure the owner wasn't there. Because he's an Assyrian and he knew what he was going to do. He was going to be like, can't pay for this. I'm taking care of it. I don't want that. You know, I don't, I, I want to just. So what happens? I go in and his son's working. After 20 minutes, of course, the dad shows up. So the son calls him. <laughs> and then his dad talks to him. And it wasn't, he didn't just give me the free windshield because I'm an Assyrian. He gave me the free windshield because he's like, you're a good guy. I want to support you. I want to encourage you. But that's the kind of thing Assyrians do. They want to support one another. And so the thing that's been interesting for me is with this book, I talk about some controversial things for the Assyrian community. I bring up some hot button topics. And yet people, whether they agree or disagree, it appears to me they're just incredibly supportive. Um, The book has legs. It's growing. Sales have been increasing beyond what I expected. Um, And I've got all sorts of different interviews set up and um it's i'm just so excited so yeah i was watching your your book trailer and you mentioned uh marriage and kind of the controversy if you you know if one was to marry outside of the assyrian community uh, could you say more about that yeah that's that's kind of one of the things that we're wrestling with because we want to preserve our culture and of course when you marry another Assyrian you're going to speak the language you're going to raise them with the customs and the shared history and the traditions and the values well if you marry a non-Assyrian of course they're going to bring their values and their um, traditions and culture which is not a bad thing mm-hmm. but the the difficulty for Assyrians and this is where I think it distinguishes the Assyrians from other groups many other groups you could say you know what go back to China go back to France or go back to Sweden or wherever mm-hmm. you know and with the Assyrians, you can't say that. Hmm. And so it really raises a dilemma because when we say things like, you know what, it's good for you to re- marry an Assyrian. It isn't, it isn't necessarily just saying, well, we want, you know, uh, we want to marry other Assyrians. Within it's, there's something else on the line. When you don't have a homeland, it makes it more difficult to preserve. So within the Assyrian community, there is this, you know what, if you're going to marry outside the Assyrian community, you're going to risk really losing your cultural background and identity. 
Um, and so I try to tackle that issue in this book. I don't necessarily give an answer of what's right or wrong because I don't think that's healthy. Instead, what I try to do is say, look, we've got to be more creative. Just saying it's right or it's wrong isn't isn't the way to go. There's mm. other ways to talk about this. Yeah. So what are some of the other, I mean, just like from your perspective, uh, growing up in this tradition, learning more about this tradition over time, what are some of the things that you would consider as, as part of your identity? Um, I, I think it starts with the language, just growing up speaking Assyrian. Um, obviously, if you know a different language, that, that deeply impacts you. Then there's the hospitality of the culture. Um, well, I spent seven years in Dallas, Texas, and I was at Dallas Seminary, and I would be doing uh, dinners for my friends once a month and cook for them. And that's something that comes directly from my culture. Now, of course, all the other cultures, every culture has, is, can be hospitable in its own way. But, um, you know, for an Assyrian, when you walk into an Assyrian's house, if you've got a diet, just get rid of that diet because we're going to try to feed you, you know. Um, so there's just so many different aspects, the language, the, the food, the, the history, uh, the family relationships and ties. Um, but I think overall, the biggest thing I've noticed that makes me an Assyrian is um, the co- sense of community. Hmm. Uh, when I go out with friends, I make sure like they've got to be in the line with me. I'm not going to leave them behind. Um, if I go out with someone, I'm going to go back with who I went out with. Um, that's how we do it in our culture. We, we, can't, we can't ditch one another or um, abandon each other. In some ways, it's unhealthy, right? That people will say, "Oh man, these guys are codependent. Like, leave them alone," you know. <laughs> um, but in other ways, I really appreciate how it fosters a sense of community. So, where do you see uh, places? You know, you talk about finding these next steps for for you and and for the, kind of the people around you. Where do where do you see maybe conflict and also um, kind of a, a correlation or, or similarities between some of the various identities that you have as an individual, you know, living in the United States, uh, being Christian, being a Syrian, where do those cross? Well, I uh, wanted to say, well, you have to read the book. No. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I think that they're consistently, they're, they're constantly intersecting and, um, I'm, you know, I'm proud to be an American. I'm an American. I'm an Assyrian. I'm a Christian. Um, and so the way I, the way I understand Christianity, the way I understand ethnicity is that really Christianity or religion answers certain questions. Who are we? Why are we here? What are we to do? Um, who is God? Things like that. When we're talking about ethnicity, we're talking about, um, the language that you speak, the food that you eat. And then, yes, there is some of what do you value? Um, and so I think that the next steps for the Assyrians and for really, I think this is a big topic for all of us to consider whether you're Assyrian or not is, um, whether you're Assyrian or not, it's really important to consider like, how do I differentiate my religion and my uh, ethnic background? So I might say I'm an American and in some ways being an American is about individuality. Um, And then at the same time, if I say I'm a Christian, well, in some ways, Christianity is about serving others and, and loving others. And so there's a conflict that happens. I don't want to be too individualistic as an American so that I don't value my Christianity as much. I said, you know what, serve others, not always about you. Which I'm not saying being an American is saying it's, it's all about you. But um, to a certain degree, uh, as an American, I value freedom. Mm. 
And as a Christian, I've got to say, yes, I value freedom, but within certain confines. Um, so those are sort of, that's some of the tension that's there. Mm. And I don't necessarily have answers of exactly what it looks like or what's right or wrong. Sure. Um, I'm an all-American guy. Uh, when people meet me, they're usually surprised when I speak. You know, I can speak Assyrian. And, and uh, so I grew up... Um, watching Full House and Family Matters, and I'm a football fan, and I, I love the Beatles, and then there's the Assyrian side and the Christian side. It's, 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 it's fun. So it just it begs the question, is there an Assyrian version of Urkel? I mean, just just, <laughs> just basing you know, off of that. No. Yeah, Steve Urkel, man. Steve no, Urkel. I can't think of it. We, we Assyrians haven't done as much video stuff as yeah. yeah but there's a tv station you were just talking to me about that earlier there's a uh and, and it has it's growing yeah. we're adjusting you know we're adjusting we've been in the united states for about you know for over 100 years and um so we've got some really amazing aspects our hospitality our um our food and um just our our demeanor and yet Audio, video, technological stuff, we're moving in a really healthy direction. The Assyrian uh, Broadcasting Network is doing a great job, and uh, I'm excited. I've been on different shows, and I don't know how far they get broadcasted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Is there anything else like, any, anything else that you would would share with us, just as people who are, are just learning about uh, this identity, this this culture, this community, is there anything else that uh, you would just say in, in, in closing? I think uh, it's important, no matter who you are, to learn about others. Um, and for me, as an Assyrian, I learn more about being an Assyrian, I learn more about being an American, I learn more about being Christian through this book. And it's important, I think, for people to know that the book has three sections. One section is a retelling, or one section is all about who the Assyrians are. That's about a third of the book. The second section is a retelling of the biblical story with an emphasis on ethnicity. And that second section basically takes us through what the cultural laws meant to Israel so that we can then be prepared for the third section, which shows us how Jesus and the first Christians interacted with their own Jewishness as a model for Assyrians to be able to think about how should we interact with our own Assyrian ethnicity and identity. Um, I think that's the value of the book. It causes you to think outside the box. It causes, uh, it causes you to um, consider things we've thought about for a long time from a whole new perspective. Um, so I just want to throw in also this is a super important point is for me uh when i started to when i got the dream of working on this book it really came from oh my gosh ethnicity culture this is a big thing in the bible mm. it's everywhere and i can't read the new testament anymore the same way hmm. when i read i mean you pop open any chapter of the new testament and you're going to find something in there that's connected to, oh, I'm a Jew or I'm a Gentile. And what's God's plan for both of these groups? Um, Paul, over and over, this letter is written for the Jew first and then the Gentile. You know, you see, you read those statements and as a kid, you gloss over them like, no, who knows what that means, right? <laughs> but when you start understanding the cultural laws of Israel and the pressure the first Christians were under to preserve their ethnicity and why they were wanting to preserve their culture, you start to see 
what the dilemma is and what the true controversy is in the first century and with the Jews and the, and the Gentiles. Uh, the motivation, the driving force behind this book was when I had to do an exegetical study on Ephesians chapter 2, where it talks about, um, Paul talks about the dividing wall of hostility. And I spent about 40 hours, 50 hours researching, researching, what does this guy mean about this dividing wall? Was it the wall outside the temple of Jerusalem, uh, the temple in Jerusalem? Was it the wall that was... Um, the wall that was built around the law, the hedge of protection around mm -hmm. the law, or was it this other semantic category? And I was like, oh my gosh, this guy sounds like an Assyrian arguing with other Assyrians about, do we preserve our culture or do we not? So I just, that I want to make sure whoever is interested in this book knows that um, that's the value, that's the strength of just being able to go and talk about these concepts. You're tapping into this old, this ancient tradition of sharing the tradition, this ancient um, way of of preserving the tradition for, as you said, people without a homeland, and um, and I really, really appreciate the insight, and I'm just so thankful for for you being able to share your story. Uh, this book, uh, Potential: The Assyrian Quest for Identity, I highly recommend it. It's on Amazon. Yep. And also digital download. Yep. Um, Audiobook in the in the making. <laughs> sweet. Uh, highly recommend it. Buy it, get it, and uh, and talk about it, share it with friends. So thank yeah. you, Steve. Thank you guys. This has been great. Awesome. Thanks. Steve mentioned the Bible as a source for understanding identity. Now the book of Matthew in the Bible tells the story of the life of Jesus. It opens with a common literary tool used in ancient times, and it's telling the lineage of the person they are writing about. So, Matthew opens with these compelling words, an account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez, by Zerah, by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Aram. And Aram, the father of Amminadab. And Amminadab, the father of Nashan. And Nashan, the father of Solomon. And Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and it goes on and on and on for some time. And finally, it concludes with, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. Whew. Now, passages like these are often cited as reasons why people stop reading the Bible. They go on and on and on so boring, so-and-so begats so-and-so, and so on and so forth, and really, <laughs> so what? But I find this particular one fascinating. This lineage gives us insight into the identity of Jesus. This is functionally a family tree. In most of these lineage accounts, they tell you the most important, most respected, and the most beloved people 
And we all want to look good, right? And, and most of these things are written in ancient times, so they usually only give the names of the men, but not this one. It includes men and women, kings and poor people, thieves, adulterers, foreigners, people from every walk of life. A lineage like this tells you something about the identity of the one they are talking about. The identity of Jesus? Well, his history is a lot like yours and mine. Filled with anybody and everybody, he comes forward with a proud history and with no small amount of skeletons in his closet, too. And yet, we know God profoundly through him. Identity, it's a tricky thing. But no matter what your story, God is in it. God is in your lineage too. So, who are you? What is your identity? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. See ya. Bye-bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox.